Thank you, Claire, for reading. If anybody else wants to run out, this is your last opportunity, so. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to see you all. Uh, For those who may be new, my name is Dan, and it's my privilege to be opening up the scriptures with you this morning. And uh, this week, we are continuing our series, uh, going through the Gospel of John. And uh, today, we're looking at one of the most dramatic miracles uh, that Jesus performed uh, during his life and ministry here, uh, in which he raises a man from the dead. Now, there's a lot, uh, so much contained in this story, uh, but the overarching theme uh, of this passage is belief, and specifically belief in Jesus. In fact, the word believe comes up nine times in this chapter, and it talks about the belief of Martha and Mary, uh, the belief of the disciples, the belief of the Jewish crowds, and the passage also addresses the unbelief of the religious leaders who reject Jesus. Now, before we dig into the story, um, I want to highlight a phrase that Jesus says in verse 40 when he says, if you believe, you will see. If you believe, you will see. Now, the full verse is actually a question uh, that Jesus asks, and we'll take a look at that question a little bit later. But contained within Jesus' question is this phrase, and it's essentially a promise from Jesus. If you believe, you will see. And this is the title of our message today, and it's Jesus' promise Not only back then, but it's the same promise to us today. This passage and this story is all about faith in Jesus. And it's not just about newfound faith for new believers, uh, but it's actually more about the journey of faith and continuing to believe in Jesus despite the difficulties and challenges in life that we will all inevitably face. Throughout the trials and difficulties of life, Jesus encourages us with these words, if you believe, you will see. So with this in mind, uh, let's begin in prayer together, and then we'll dig into God's word. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who stepped down from heaven and entered our world. And through faith in Jesus, we are able to know you and to walk with you, our creator. Father, as we go into your word now, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are speaking to us through your word. Would you increase our faith, Lord, and strengthen our belief in you? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So 
Our story today begins uh, quite simply. Uh, There is a man named Lazarus. He lives in a village called Bethany, and he gets some kind of sickness that is severe enough that his sisters, Martha and Mary, they send a messenger to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. So let's pick up the story in verse four and see how Jesus responds to this news. So when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So first, Jesus explains that the end result of this sickness will not be death. Rather, this sickness is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, quickly, I think it's important to note that this does not mean that all sicknesses are for God's glory. When we read scripture, we have to be careful and not look at one particular situation uh, and then generalize it to be some kind of universal truth. So not all sicknesses are for God's glory, and in fact, we know that sickness and death were never part of God's original design for our world. But in this situation, Jesus makes clear that this sickness, in this circumstance, is going to be used to bring glory to God and glory to God's Son. And by this point in Jesus' ministry, everyone knows that when Jesus says God's son, he's referring to himself, because he's he's, uh, described himself as that many times. So Jesus, in his first response, he lets people know right away that somehow this sickness is going to bring glory to God and bring glory to himself. Now continuing on in verse five, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now this is an interesting response from Jesus, especially considering that it says that Jesus loved Lazarus and Martha and Mary. But instead of going right away to see Lazarus, Jesus stays where he was two more days. Jesus purposefully delays his departure. Now why does he do this? We begin to get a clue in the ensuing conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. As they keep talking, uh, the disciples misunderstand what's taking place. Uh, And they think that Lazarus is kind of just sleeping off uh, this sickness and he's just kind of resting. So then Jesus needs to clarify and he explains to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. Jesus surprises his disciples by telling them that actually Lazarus has already passed away. And even more surprisingly, Jesus says, I am glad I was not there. And why was Jesus glad he was not there? 
Well, he says at the end of that verse, so that you may believe. Jesus purposefully delayed going to Lazarus for the sake of his disciples so that they might believe in him. Now, if you do the math of of where Jesus was and then his two-day delay and then going back to Bethany, um, and then when he goes back, they tell him Lazarus has been dead for four days. In all likelihood, Lazarus died soon after the messenger had left Bethany. So by the time Jesus got the message, Lazarus was already dead. So Jesus's delay did not cause Lazarus's death. But what his delay did do was to make all the more clear how amazing this miracle would be. This wasn't going to be a resuscitation that can happen when when someone's heart stops beating and then you administer CPR and, and you revive the person. This was resurrecting someone who had been clearly dead for days. And the funeral and the burial, everything had already taken place by the time Jesus got there. So after the two-day delay, Jesus and his disciples, they make the trip and go back to Judea. Then it says in verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So what are they talking about here? Well, this conversation is all referencing Jesus's earlier teaching back in John chapter six. And Jesus in that chapter taught that all those who believed in him, though they may die, will be raised up at the last day and resurrected by him to have eternal life. Now, just imagine if there was someone today going around saying, I have the power to give eternal life. All those who believe in me in the last day, I will raise up from the dead and they will live forever. I mean, just think about if someone went around saying that and they're on the news, they're on CNN, we would think this person is is crazy, right? And it's no different for the people in Jesus's day who heard him say this 2,000 years ago. After Jesus gives that teaching in John chapter six, it says that many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You see, they were willing to follow Jesus up until that point. But then when Jesus starts saying that he's going to raise the dead and that he can give eternal life, many of his disciples stop following him. They say, all right, that's too far. I'm out. And they stop following him. 
You see, if Jesus had just kept to teaching good moral principles, and if he just talked about the love of God, things probably would have gone easier for him. But Jesus goes way further than just good religious teaching. And Jesus makes audacious statements that can mean no other than that he is claiming to be divine, that he has the power and the authority of God himself. In fact, this is the reason why the Jewish leaders try to kill Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus asks them, why are you trying to kill me? And they respond by saying, for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And that's why no one can mistake Jesus as being simply a good religious teacher. That option is not available to us. Jesus never meant for us to regard him as simply a, a teacher or, or just a prophet. Jesus confronts the world with a much more earth-shattering message that he is the great I am, the eternal God made flesh, walking among us in human weakness, that he might save and redeem all humanity through giving his life for our sins. So then, continuing on in our conversation between Jesus and Martha, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Here, Jesus once again makes the same kind of audacious statements that previously caused many of his other disciples to stop following him. He tells Mary that he is the resurrection and the life, and that those who believe in him will never die. And then Jesus asked Martha a simple but direct question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that I have power over life and death? And so here's Martha's response. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Amazingly, Martha responds by saying, yes, she believes. She believes that Jesus is who he says he is. And why does she say yes? How does Martha get to this point where she can look at what appears to be a man and say, I believe that you are the resurrection and the life. I believe that you are the Messiah. How does she get to that point? And to answer this question, we need to consider where we are in the Gospel of John, 
and think of where Martha is at in her journey of faith. So Martha has either witnessed or at the very least heard about all the other miracles that Jesus had done up until now. So in the Gospel of John, Jesus has already changed water into wine. He healed a royal official's son. He healed a man who was paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus has multiplied food to feed thousands. Uh, Jesus has walked on water. Jesus has healed a man who was blind from birth. And of course, there's all the other miracles that Jesus did that John, the gospel writer, says that he didn't even record in this book. So Martha is not expressing blind faith here. She's not trusting in the words of just some random crazy person. Rather, Martha is putting her faith in someone who has demonstrated again and again, miracle upon miracle, which showed that Jesus had power over life and death and power over nature and creation itself. I highly doubt that Martha would have been able to make this kind of confession if this was the first time that she was meeting or hearing about Jesus. But at this point in her journey of faith, after all that she has seen and heard, she is able to say at this moment, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are who you say you are. Now, let's, uh, let's just take a pause and step out of this story for a moment and uh, just talk generally about faith and belief. So how does faith in Jesus come about? How does a person come to believe in Jesus as Lord? Well, first, faith comes by hearing. This is what it says in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes from hearing the message. So in order to believe in Jesus, somebody needs to tell us about Jesus. So whether that is our parents or a friend uh, or someone on TV or, or some video clip on the internet, somebody needs to tell us about Jesus if we are going to believe in him. And then after this first encounter where we hear the message, that's when the journey of faith begins. And that journey can look quite different for each of us. Some of us came from Christian homes and we heard about Jesus as we grew up and our faith just kind of grew over time, gradually. Others of us grew up knowing nothing about Jesus and, and you can actually remember the first time you heard about the message of Christ. But no matter how we may have started the journey of faith, what then needs to happen is that we need to grow in our faith. None of us suddenly become instantly mature the moment we start to believe. None of us are fully formed disciples when we first put our trust in Jesus. 
Rather, there is a process of growth that must occur. But growth is not guaranteed. If we look back to the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus tells us that some people will hear the message and receive it with joy. However, like seed on rocky ground, they never develop deep roots. And so when trouble or persecution comes, they don't last and they fall away. Still others will receive the word, but Jesus says that the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth will actually choke the word, and there is no fruit from the seed that was sown. And so even though we may hear and receive the message about Jesus, growth is not guaranteed. And the journey of faith is filled with, with challenges. We have an enemy who, who does not want us to follow God. Troubles will come in our lives. The worries of life and the deceitful allure of wealth and money can choke out, can choke out true faith in Jesus. But, but amidst all of this, there is good news, and there is hope. The good news is that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And Jesus really wants us to make it to the end. The scriptures say that Jesus is interceding and praying on our behalf right now. And not only that, but Jesus promises us that he would help us and be with us forever. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Rather, Jesus promises that he would send his spirit to dwell in us and to empower us so that we can live our lives receiving daily support and strength from him. So that's our ultimate hope in being able to persevere in our journey of faith. The promise that Jesus would continue to be with us through his spirit dwelling in us. And there's also lots of other encouragements and, and promises that Jesus makes to us. And one of those promises and encouragements is found in our passage today. So let's return now to the story of Lazarus. And uh, starting in verse 38, uh, Jesus has arrived in Bethany. And it says, Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see 
the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Do you hear the promise that is contained in that question? The promise is, if you believe, you will see. This is a promise not just for Martha, but for all of us as believers. And this phrase encapsulates what the journey of faith should be. If we believe, we will see the glory of God in our lives. And what Jesus is saying here is very similar to what he says in Luke chapter 17. In Luke 17, uh, the disciples, they cry out to Jesus. They say, Lord, increase our faith. Jesus replies by saying this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the smallberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. It's a curious reply. The disciples have just asked Jesus to increase their faith, and then Jesus talks about mulberry trees being flung into the sea. I mean, maybe Jesus doesn't like mulberry trees. I don't know. I don't know what mulberry trees are. Um, But here is essentially what Jesus is getting at. So the disciples have asked Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus responds with an example of a mulberry tree being uprooted and tossed into the sea. But the principle that Jesus is getting at is this. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you will see amazing things. It's the same thing that Jesus is saying in our story to Martha. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And the glory of God can take many forms. For instance, in in today's story, the glory of God will be seen through the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, The glory of God can also be seen in in miracles of healing, uh, through prophecies, through deliverance from evil spirits, all of which I have seen and witnessed a little bit in person. But aside from the more supernatural stuff, what else is amazing and what else shows the glory of God? Well, we see the glory of God when those who are hopeless find hope. We see the glory of God when those who have been crushed by this world and by the sins of others find strength in Jesus to rise up and to live again. We see the glory of God when people are set free from addictions 
and the grip of sin in their lives. We see the glory of God when broken marriages and broken relationships are restored. We see the glory of God when proud and arrogant people repent and become humble and soft and kind. We see the glory of God when there's forgiveness between people who have hurt and wounded one another. And finally, we see the glory of God when each of us, as followers of Christ, over time and through much help from his Spirit, when we slowly but surely become transformed more and more into the image and the likeness of Jesus, that shows the glory of God. If we believe in Jesus, we will see God's glory in our lives. So now let's uh, begin to wrap up and uh, we'll finish the rest of our story. So again, Jesus uh, tells Martha, he says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. So Martha and Mary, through their belief and relationship with Jesus, they see the glory of God as Lazarus is raised from the dead. And not only do Martha and Mary get to see the glory of God, but it says that many Jews also saw the glory of God and believed in Jesus. And this is how faith in Jesus is shared and communicated to others. If we believe, we will see the glory of God at work in our lives. And as this happens, others will see and believe through our witness and through our testimonies. A personal example of how this happens, ha, has happened for me, is the witness and the testimony of my parents. At a critical time in my life when I was struggling with much doubt and unbelief, it was the testimony of my parents that gave me hope. And uh, each of my parents, they, they, they have this one special story that they've told me many times while growing up. 
so first, uh, my mother. So my mom, she grew up in South Korea uh, as a pastor's daughter. And uh, one day, when she was about 15 years old, um, the piano player at their church uh, got married and moved out of the little village that they lived in. So now, suddenly, there was no one to play piano at church. Now, certainly that's not the end of the world, but definitely it's not a good thing for the church. And uh, my mom was quite worried about this. So after the piano player got married and moved on, uh, and with no one in the little village who could teach my mom, uh, she just sat down at the piano in the church She looked at the music sheets, and then God started to teach her how to play the piano. The way she describes it is, she just looked at the music, and she realized, oh, if I play that chord this way, the right sound comes out. And if I play this chord in this way, the right sound comes out. And little by little, God started teaching her how to play piano. And my mom would spend hours and hours and hours all alone in the church, just her and God playing the piano. And my mom ended up playing piano not only for her father's church, but all throughout her adult life, she was playing piano in churches and in revival services. Uh, She played piano and led the children's choir um, at all the churches when I grew up. Uh, she was always the, the choir, um, choir teacher. And her testimony is that God taught her how to play piano. I don't understand it either. <laughs> I, I really don't. Because like, I'm thinking, like, what do you mean like God taught you? Like, like what do you mean? And... She just said, God, God showed her how to play. Uh, recently, my mom was telling me this story again, uh, maybe about a bit over a month ago. And she was telling me how all those years ago, um, when she realized what God had done, and she would just play piano for hours alone, so full of joy. And she said, When I think about it now, I still feel the same joy. I could see that joy on her face as she was telling me. For my dad, um, the story that he's told me again and again throughout my life uh, was an experience he had while serving uh, in the Korean army. So he was uh, fulfilling his mandatory service And uh, one day, someone had stolen one of the commanding officers' pistols. Uh, It had gone missing. So they started to round up suspects, and uh, back then especially, it was a pretty brutal army culture. So basically, they were just going to interrogate and beat people until the pistol was found. So my dad was called in, and... uh, He didn't know where the pistol was, so they started to beat him. But as the beating began, my dad says that he felt no pain, no pain whatsoever. 
And my dad says that God shielded him and protected him from that beating. Now, my, my dad did not grow up in a Christian home. He came to faith later in life, and while in the army, actually, he was going, starting to go to church services, and that's when his faith was starting to grow. And this experience he had was one of the critical moments in his life that showed him that God was real, that God was real. And so from both my parents, I grew up with them sharing uh, these testimonies. Um, and really, they were sharing with me how the glory of God had manifested in their lives. And again, at a critical time in my life, when I was struggling with a lot of doubt and unbelief, these stories and testimonies from my parents were like little anchors for my soul that I could hold on to. Their stories helped me to get through my unbelief. And now I have my own stories that I can share with others. And as I continue to grow in faith and belief, I hope to see the glory of God in ever greater ways. Because Jesus' promise to Martha is his promise to all of us. It's his promise to you and me. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words to us this morning. Your words, Jesus. These are your words, Jesus, that were written down and preserved throughout the centuries so that we here today can read and learn about who you are and what it means to have faith and to believe in you. And so, Father, just as the disciples cried out, Lord, increase our faith, would you make this the cry of our hearts? Would you increase our faith, Lord? Increase our belief in you, that we might see your glory in ever greater ways, and that we may share stories of your glory, that others might believe in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we have the opportunity and the privilege of taking communion together. And uh, as we take communion this morning, uh, I wanna briefly talk about baptism um, because the two are related to one another. So communion and baptism are two sacred practices that uh, were specifically given to us by Jesus and uh, they are gifts of grace for his people. 
So in communion, we remember Jesus' death on the cross as he died in our place for the forgiveness of sins. And in baptism, it says in Romans chapter 6 that through baptism, we are buried with Christ and raised to newness of life. Now, as we've been sharing in various announcements, uh, we're hoping to baptize some people at Easter Sunday, which is uh, just three short weeks away. And really, there's no better time uh, to be baptized than on Easter Sunday, uh, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, who died and rose again, so that we all might have new life in him. So, if you would like to be baptized or if you're just interested and have some questions, um, but if you want to make that commitment to follow Jesus, uh, feel free to contact me or the church office and uh, we'd be happy to follow up with you. Uh, so now um, I'd like to invite the ushers to please come forward to prepare the communion stations. And at Granville Chapel, we welcome all followers of Jesus to join us in taking communion. And for those who have not yet made a decision to follow Christ, Jesus extends to you his offer of forgiveness of sin and new life through him. So if you would like to receive Jesus' invitation this morning, you can do that today. And uh, as a first step, in your commitment to follow Jesus, you are welcome to come and take communion as well. In just a minute, um, I'll pray for us as we take communion. And then after I do, um, how we take communion here is uh, starting with the front rows, uh, just come to the outside aisles, take the bread and the cup, and you can return your cup to the empty trays, which will be there. Uh, for those with uh, gluten allergies, uh, please ask your servers for a gluten-free option, and they can provide that for you. And uh, lastly, if for whatever reason you're not physically able to come to the front to take communion, um, at the end of the lineup, just raise your hand, and our servers will come to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gifts of baptism and communion. Thank you for making a way for us to be restored and to right relationship with you through Christ. As we take communion and as we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we remember your sacrifice for us and we give thanks for the new life that we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.